0: Good morning. Welcome to the show. Thanks for listening again. It's Friday, July the 1st. It's a pleasant morning here in TW11 without pulling up any trees, but uh, the forecast looks okay ahead of a, an excellent weekend's action. I'm sure there will be those of you fascinated by this year's edition of the German Derby at Hamburg, more of which a little bit later in the program, but we would be uh, not doing our duty if we didn't start with the coral eclipse. There are just six of them going to post but it's a fabulous sextet, all extremely talented horses, a good clash of the generations as well. And Lee Mottishead, the senior writer from the Racing Post, is alongside me today to look forward to it. Lee, always one of my favourite races in the calendar. What do you make of it this time?
1: I think it is um, set to be utterly absorbing, Nick. I mean, we don't always go to the field quite with this depth of quality um, for the Eclipse. It sometimes suffers from the fact that it comes not long after, the Prince of Wales' stakes at Royal Ascot. But this is a proper old-fashioned eclipse that has that clash of the generations that you always want to see in a race like this. It's greatly enhanced by the presence of Vedeni, the British hockey Club winner, um, who's been supplemented at significant cost, trying to give France the nation's first win in the race since 1959. The Ocon a first win in the race as well. I think it's... From top to bottom, there are only six runners in the race. Five of them are Group 1 winners. The one who isn't a Group 1 winner is a really exciting prospect, Bay Bridge. And I think tactically, it's really going to be a fascinating contest too because looking down those six runners, I can't see any of them who in ideal circumstances would make the running. So I think tactically, uh, it's going to ask a lot of the six jockeys in it as well. It looks an absolute humdinger.
0: It certainly does. Baybridge is trained by Sir Michael Stout, whose record in this race is fantastic. His assistant trainer is James Savage and I began by asking him how the horse had done since his second placing at Royal Ascot.
2: Yeah, he's gone there in great form, Nick. Um, you know, the the, the brigadier even even surprised some of us in, in in house to be honest with you, the way the way he went through the line and everyone was so excited by that performance. Um I think if you look back at Ascot, the winner, the uh, Joseph O'Brien's horse, got an exceptional ride, I thought, and it was just circumstances really um, that got you, you know that didn't didn't enable us to see much best. But we're we're going there tomorrow in top shape, and um, we're, we're confident of a of a a, a a real good run.
0: I mean, your horse is a big, powerful horse. I'm not saying he lacks pace; he clearly does and He's clearly got plenty of it. But a, a muddling tactical race didn't suit him at Ascot. Are you alive to the possibility of limited pace again, particularly without any presence from bally Doyle?
2: Yeah, that's a slight concern um but I think everyone will be in the same boat looking at that you know i i, I see I see the um very good william Haggis horse um is is quite a straightforward ride. I think mischief has been missed up on the pace when he drops down to ten they drop he tends to drop in over twelve but so i i I, I don't see there being a lot of pace but you know, we've got to be open-minded to the fact that we may have to go forward at some point. Um, uh, you know, Ryan will Ryan will have done his homework and and uh, everything before the race. But I just hope for a, a smooth race so we can see. You know, these are six exceptional horses, and I, 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 I don't want to, I, I, I'd not like to come out of the race thinking that there was some luck or, or they sprinted or you know, and, and it was a messy race. So I'm hoping that there's a, a balanced pace and. We can see which which horse is the best. because there's some serious performers in this race tomorrow. It's, yeah, it's one of the hottest eclipses I've seen for see the stars this year and conduit. And you know, then that, that that was a serious eclipse. And this is this is as hot in my opinion.
0: Were you at Were you already at, at uh, Sir Michael's when when conduit ran behind? Yes, you were, weren't you? When you ran behind, yeah, see the stars?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah we ran at Pacemaker. If you remember, um, and uh, see the stars was close up and Conduit's Showed a serious gear change from the back to get to see this. Well, get within two lengths of see the stars, but Cedar stars was just exceptional. There was no passing him that day. And I'm
0: guessing uh, you were also there when Ulysses won, and when Not Now Cato won under that amazing ride from Ryan Moore.
2: Yeah, and um, I, 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 I wasn't there at the at the races on the day of Not Now Cato, but I was aware of what what could, might happen and. When he came over, I was like, oh, <laughs> it was such a brave call, you know? But Ryan, that's what Ryan does. He, he makes them calls and that's why he's, he's, he is where he is. And um, I think he caught everyone on the hop that day.
0: And you've been waiting during the course of the week to see whether Aiden had a, had a runner. And I did I did suggest on the podcast earlier in the week that Ryan would be riding Bay Bridge. I'm, I must admit, I was, I was sweating by, by Wednesday. I suspect you were as well, weren't you?
2: Yeah, we were. And like... Luckily, we're we're in a privileged position where we've got such a good such a good backup in Richard Kingscote. So he was happy to sit there and, and take the ride. And um, and if 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 Ryan became available, great, you know. But um, yeah, we're we're very privileged to have two such great jockeys, very very good jockeys riding for us. And obviously, if Ryan comes available. You, you're extremely happy with that. And um, Aidan has plans for his other his three. So so it's to, it's to our benefit. Um,
0: speaking of Richard coat, Kingsco- how's Desert Crown doing?
2: Yeah he's in good shape yeah he's he's just uh, starting to get into preparation for the King George so we're happy with him and, and uh, fingers crossed all being well we'll get there in good shape
0: What did you make of Westover's performance in the Irish Derby?
2: I th- I, I I I saw it very impressive um, I thought he got a very good ride very close to the pace and everything went very very smooth for him as he did for us in the Derby when it didn't go so smooth for him I'd be very, you know, he's a horse that now you have to seriously take into consideration when it comes to race like the King George. Um, I think he's been very well managed, um, brought along very nicely, and he's the horse you have to fear now. He's, he's a very relentless galloper that will see the trip out so well in, the, in a race like the King George. And I actually see that horse, the way he's been trained and managed, progressing more as the year goes on. You know, um, big, strong horse, well bred. He, he could be, he could be a serious contender now in these middle distance races in the in the summer and the autumn. King George's and an arcs. I, I, I really like the horse to be
0: honest with you. James Savage there with some interesting thoughts on uh, the Derby winner Desert Crown, the horse that he's likely to take on in the King George Westover, and first, of course, the horse that goes for Freemason Lodge tomorrow, the very exciting Bay Bridge, as Lee Moss had pointed out, the only horse yet to win a Group One in the race, but. Such was the dominance of his performance at Sandown earlier in the season, Lee. It's surely only a matter of time. Were you disappointed with his run at Ascot, or do you think it could be put down entirely to circumstances, as James was rather suggesting there?
1: I think it probably can be put down to circumstances, but I was still disappointed in the sense that I had been blown away with him. At Sandown, I thought that Brigadier Gerard stakes victory suggested he wasn't just a Group One horse, but he was a Group One horse of the very highest order. And therefore, I was a little deflated and underwhelmed by what he did at Ascot. But equally, I am more than happy to give him a second chance because I think the fact that connections are bringing him out again relatively quickly in this race, with positive vibes surrounding him, I think that's all. All encouraging. I think it's also encouraging that Ryan Moore rides a horse. Not that Richard King doesn't ride the horse, but I think it suggests that, presumably, Ryan has spoken to, to Aidan O'Brien, who had a number of horses entered in the race during the week. It suggests to me that Ryan was keen to ride the horse, um, and that might have been a factor in Aidan O'Brien not having anyone else in the race. I don't know. But I, I think everything around Bay Bridge's participation in this race to me screams positivity. That said, It it is such an absorbing contest. Um, I think Alenka, as James referenced, might well be the one to make the running. He had a go at doing that in the arc. Now, obviously, that didn't yield anything at all. Um, But equally, that was the arc. It was the end of the season. And he might be one of those who you look down this race and he would be one that's probably least likely to be suited by a, a kick and sprint. I did think Bay Bridge himself might be contender to make the riding, not necessarily because he hasn't got a turn of foot. Indeed, in the Brigadier Gerard, what was so what was so pleasing was he looked a quicker horse than he'd been at three, and he really did quicken. But equally, Ryan Moore is so good from the front. We all remember what he did on Broom at at Royal Asker. He's produced that sort of ride so often before, and I could see Ryan doing it. But when you look down this field, the other four, I mean, Lord North is a, is a big price outsider, 20, 22 to one. The first group, one example of the separation between John Gosden, uh, Jonathan Gosden and Frank Latori. He's 22 to one, but he, he did win a second Dubai Turf as recently as March. Mishrif is almost a forgotten horse in this race, but yet it's less than a year since his PB performance in the Judmon International. You've got Native Trail, who was a wonder two-year-old, probably hasn't been quite as thrilling as we'd hoped at three so far, albeit he has got a classic win to his name. He's going up in distance, question mark over him regarding that. And then we've got the horse who in many ways makes the race for Denny. So we've not had a French winner since 1959. We're not used to having major French stars in the race. But the fact that Jean-Claude Rouget and the other kind of added him to this contest had so much spice. He was tremendously impressive in the pre Shockey Club. That was a performance miles in front of anything he'd produced before. And I think it was interesting that he did that off the back of a strong gallop. But I don't think he would be one that would be suited by a kick and sprint. So there's so many layers of interest in this race, Nick. I really can't wait to be a stand to watch it tomorrow.
0: It's a proper Bonnie Tyler, this one, isn't it, Lee?
1: A proper Bonnie Tyler?
0: Mm. A total Good eclipse.
1: A totally. <laughs> You use you that before?
0: I'll get my coat. It's
1: very good. I like that. It is. It is a proper bonnie Tyler.
0: Well, a week from now, we'll be anticipating eagerly the 2022 running of the Dali July Cup. It looks a cracking edition this year. You'll be hearing later in the programme about the Japanese contender, King Hermes, but Artorias, the rather unlucky third in the Platinum Jubilee Stakes at Royal Ascot, has stayed in the country. He's the Australian trained sprinter, and he's been put through his paces in Newmarket this morning supervising his preparation as he has been throughout. Assistant trainer Sam Friedman, and he's been in conversation on the heath with the Thoroughbred Daily News' Emma Berry, and this is what he had to
3: say. Uh, They just worked over 800 metres of four and basically quickened up the last two he's Just sort of hitting top gear, probably on the line, so he seems he's very fit. He's pulled up very well, so um... You seem to handle the track. Well yeah, enough. it's
1: pretty undulating, yeah. isn't it? So uh, it is. Old <laughs> yeah.
3: I <didn't> realise <laughs> yeah. we don't have that sort of track in Australia. So as long as you know when they come down that hill from the three to the two, that he's in touch with them. You know, he's, he'll obviously be finishing very hard. He's just got to be trying to be a little bit closer. It's been the story of his career a little bit that he's just hey, left himself hey, a bit too much brother. to do. Yeah, <laughs> smaller field hopefully, and you know if he can just stay in touch. His coat's improved. He looks he actually looks a yeah. and fantastic. Yeah. yeah, he's
1: obviously taking it well out here isn't He is. He? Yeah. yeah, he's he
3: loves it here. He, he wants to stay, I think, so. <laughs> yeah, if he, if he performs well, he, there's a chance he'll go he might run in France in the primaries. Okay. guess as well. Potentially yeah. if he, you know, cool. if he runs well. So
1: and, I mean, plenty's made of the sort of disparity between Australian prize money, which is sensational, it's not so great here. Except obviously, you're running very prestigious races. Yeah. Um, presumably, after all of the COVID shutdowns and everything, are you you pretty happy, I guess, to be travelling a horse? And
3: yeah, yeah, it's good to get out of the country. <laughs> yeah. But so um, yeah, I mean, he's not here for the prize money, so it's that's not. I think you know if Australian sprinters were after prize money, they'd, they'd probably stay at home. But you know he's looking to build on a, a stallion CV that he's you know continually getting better and better. And you know if he can win a Group One in both hemispheres, he'll certainly look good on his CV. So that's more the reason he's here. But um, I mean the prize money is too good on of Saturday, yeah. yeah. So yeah,
2: absolutely. Yeah.
1: And how have you found it? Yeah bringing bring your horse over, how's, it, how's yeah, it been in England?
3: I've loved it, yeah. It's been, I mean, there's probably no better place to train a horse in the world than here, so they're looking to set up, you know, something hopefully similar to this in, in Australia, in Victoria. I'm trying to urge them to model it all on how the gallops are here oh, in the environment. I mean, it's okay. just so, the horse is so happy. This horse has never been happier, I don't think, than when he is here, so...
2: Okay, that's nice.
3: Um you've got
4: the right horse for the job he absolutely loves it he's travelled well
0: and settled happy Sam Friedman there clearly enjoying his time in Europe with Artorius the Platinum Jubilee 3rd who goes for next Saturday's Dali July Cup now Lee we've got matters closer at hand to attend to uh, the Grand Prix de Saint-Cloud and also a a rather interesting edition of the German Derby this weekend
1: well the German Derby um, is always an interesting race to watch it's also a race that we shouldn't dismiss it doesn't obviously have the the status of the derbies in Britain, Ireland or France. But we look what happened in, in last year's arc um, as a guide to how important uh, these German middle distance races are. In fact, we've, we've had repeated evidence of that in the last 20 years. Also, um, it's a race in which we have got um, British representation, not in terms of horses, but in terms of jockeys. Frankie de Torre, who's obviously been heavily in the news in the last few weeks, is riding in the race, as are Holly Doyle, Richard Kingsco, Jack Mitchell, and Kieran Fallon. Um, what's quite interesting around the race, too, is Nick, we, we, we talk a lot about how power is dominated in relatively few hands in the sport these days. Well, that is represented to even in this Deutsches Derby. Marcus Klug has seven of the 20 runners. Uh, Hank Gruer has four. Andreas Völler has four. Um, indeed, of the 20 runners, only seven trainers are represented. So it's not only in, in Britain and Ireland that power rests in relatively, relatively few hands. Yeah, looking
0: forward to seeing how Holly Doyle, Frankie Dettori and Co get on in the German Derby. And what about the Grand Prix de Saint-Cloud, Group 1?
1: Well, a Group 1 that sometimes looks one of the, the calendar's very weakest European Group 1s, I would suggest. But this year, it's, it's, a, it's a more interesting contest, not least because Hurricane Lane goes in this race. So we know Hurricane Lane, one of the middle-distance superstars of last year for Charlie Appleby and Godolphin, entered his campaign by finishing third in the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe, very much has that race central to his whole campaign this year. For that reason, I think Connections were genuinely not in the least bit disappointed by his reappearance run in the Hardwick States, which I think at face value was a tad disappointing, but they're really turning him towards the arc. He had a 10-run field in the contest this year. Again, plenty of Representation from uh, Britain and Ireland. We've got Third Realm, we've got uh, Lone Eagle, we've got Dubai Honour, we've got um, Alpiniste, a big runner for Sir Mark Prescott, who of course hasn't had a, a busy start to season. He's been open in saying his horses just haven't been quite right. So her, her run and how she goes, I think, will be looked at very closely by the stable there. Aidan O'Brien runs high definition who has, to an extent, redeemed his reputation in his last two starts with big runs at the Curra and uh, at Epsom. Andre Fab, Mario Stalis, looks like a horse who has more to give as well. But the race, I think, is built around Hurricane Lane. If he produces his best performance, he should win this Grand Prix, to some clue. I guess partly depends on, in their working back from, from the arc, how ready he is at this stage in his career. It's a good race.
0: Yeah, I I got to confess I was pretty disappointed with him at, at Ascot Hurricane Lane. I know he'd been off a while. He might have needed the run. And I, I really want to see a big step forward, Lee, for all that the ground at Ascot might have just been a little lively for him. The fact that he couldn't get past Mosterdaff late on um, wasn't great, even though Ryan Moore gave Broom a brilliant ride.
1: Yeah, I mean I, I used the, the, the word underwhelming in reference to Bay Bridge's efforts um at Royal Ascot, but but this horse, Hurricane Lane, was as you say, even more underwhelming. Rymor was brilliant in the way he went from the front on Broom, but you would have liked to see Hurricane Lane do more. And I certainly thought it was a run that, that didn't, didn't um, reach the expectations that we had beforehand for him. But I say that said, all the vibes from Connections are that they genuinely were perfectly relaxed and satisfied with the outing. which would suggest to me if they were satisfied with that level on that day, how much better can they expect to have him, what is it, 15 days later? So I think that's one reason why you can get 6-4 to four about him. On, on last year's form, he'd be an odds-on shot. I suspect, makers are am just still wondering how ready will this horse be for this race?
0: Just a, a quick line on what's been happening politically in the UK. Uh, there's been a, an interesting intervention from Joe Somera-Smith, the new chair of the British Horse Racing Authority, speaking to a conference uh, yesterday, Lee, which underlined some quite serious concerns as to the impact that affordability checks, although they have not officially um, been mandated, are already having.
1: Yeah, so Joe Smith, the BHA chair now for a month, Um, he has done a a few bits and pieces publicly, obviously you've interviewed him yourself, Nick, but I think this was probably his first keynote speech to an audience. He did so at the Horse Racing Industry Conference at Newbury Race School, organised by the Racing Foundation and the University of Liverpool Management School. It was actually a really good conference, I was there yesterday, loads of interesting speakers. Joe kicked the whole thing off. The majority of of his speech was about how he sees uh, the importance of the horse racing industry of really doing more with data, understanding data. But he had a a small intervention on the subject of the gambling review. We are expecting the gambling review to be published, the white paper to be published next week. We've been saying that for, for weeks and months now, but we really are expecting that to come out probably Wednesday or Thursday next week. It comes against the backdrop of, on the one hand, press reports in The Times that we aren't necessarily expecting affordability checks in the way that we had feared. These will be non-intrusive soft checks that take place in the background, as it were, and don't require punters to, to hand over to bookmakers the sort of financial data that some had feared. But also, going on at the moment, Nick, we've got the Gambling Commission, which regulates the sector has already been uh, ordering, asking bookmakers to carry out these checks without being specific what they want to do. And some of these affordability checks that punters have been asked to provide because of the Gambling Commission have had a negative effect already. I've spoken to punters who have closed accounts because they just don't want to go through the process that they're being asked to do. Joe Silver Smith references in his speech. He said, I think we are quite worried partly because of the delays in publishing the the white paper. He said, we need certainty. But then he went on, secondly, because the Gambling Commission are going ahead and for their own reasons, implementing a lot of the restrictions. So even if the white paper comes up with limitations on operators at relatively high levels by comparison with what was predicted, the Gambling Commission is now making operators put in restrictions. So the Gambling Commission has galloped ahead of the white paper and Joe went on to say that is already having an effect on levy and media rights payments. We are seeing that in the returns for April and May and it's a big threat to the industry's revenue. So I think real fears that even aside from the white paper which say we're expecting next week that the gambling commission autonomously without any uh, encouragement from government has been acting on the subject of afford- affordability checks and bookmakers who are understandably fearful uh, of uh, fines and, in a bigger sense, of retaining their licences, have been acting themselves without any sort of parameters set by the Gambling Commission. They've probably been acting overcautiously. And that has been having an effect on punters. And I think there's also a fear, Nick, that whatever comes out in, in the white paper, if the government chose to devolve power Uh, on these fronts to the gambling commission if it said well we think the gambling commission should have more power to act of its own volition well we've already seen what the gambling commission thinks Mm. on this front and it seems to be taking a harder line than the dcms and that has to be a concern for the bookmaking industry but more so as well for the horse racing industry and joe sorbara smith is clearly very much aware of that
0: so we really need this this white paper to to clear a few things up sooner rather than later. But as we anticipated on the program a couple of days ago, we think that will come within the next few days. Now it's received wisdom, and I think it's it's received wisdom around the world that most thoroughbreds, broadly speaking, are are pretty similar in terms of the way they they grow and the way they develop. Um, perhaps not necessarily the case, and perhaps there's a bigger difference between what we would consider to be a traditional European turf horse and an American dirt horse. Uh, Joe Pagan is from Kentucky Equine Research and has been performing a a study into this which has has yielded some very interesting results and and joins me now, uh, has been speaking in in England and Ireland over the last few days. Joe, what have your your studies shown?
4: Well, we studied a large group of young horses in both uh, central Kentucky and in England and Ireland. And what we found was really interesting. Uh, the size of the foals when they're born is fairly similar, but the horses in America end up as much larger yearlings. And so we, and the ones that are the most successful both at the sales and in racing were the large ones in Kentucky, where in UK they tended to start the same size but they ended up as more moderate sized yearlings and this was the ones that were successful at sale and in racing
0: so the interesting question here is and you're somebody who's founded the world's leading equine nutrition company is this about the feeding or is it about the breeding
4: i think it's the breeding i think that there's a difference in terms of <clears throat> the kind of horse that we're breeding now in america for the dirt i think it's a bigger uh, more heavily muscled horse and uh it's it is different interestingly though they're the same height it's not a size difference it's more of a muscling difference
0: go on just explain that to me then flesh that out for me a little bit
4: so we measured both body weight and height and we began when they were born clear up until they went to the sales and if we look at the relative size height they ended up being pretty similar uh and they were a little above average, but not massively tall. But when we looked at yearlings and we looked at the uh, stakes winners, top 10% in sales and uh, racing performance, the ones in the UK tended to be a little smaller as yearlings. And the ones in, in America were on the larger side.
0: Uh, and is there, any, is there any benefit to being a big horse? Is there any f- fundamental benefits to it, do you think?
4: Uh, well, there <laughs> there was to to be a large yearling in America, and I think that you know, the, if you look at the phenotype of those, you know, the the, the dirt horse, they are a big, bigger, stouter horse. Interestingly, though, we found that a very large foal, and we're talking the first thirty days, may not be uh, a great advantage. In fact, we found a propensity for more skeletal disorders when the foals were born extremely large
0: that's very interesting so you don't mind if they're if they're growing into big yearlings but you don't want them to be massive at birth because because you get a few more problems in terms of what uh, the what goodness or, or what nutrients is in the is in the pasture in in england and ireland relative to kentucky is that is that vastly different or not
4: well, it, yes and no. We found that month of birth made a big difference in how the foals, how big they were when they were born and how they grew. And the, the month where they seem to be biggest in, and as foals and, and grow the most in Kentucky is April. In UK, it's May. And so if you look at the way that pasture grows, temperature day length UK is about a month behind Kentucky and so that makes perfect sense
0: okay so you'd actually be better off having a slightly later fall in Europe than you would in in the States well
4: no actually that turned out not to be the case because in both countries if you look at the percentage of stakes winners and the lack of skeletal disorders the best month to be born was actually February (laughs) and really in terms of the the most skeletal disorders in Kentucky it was April and in UK it was May.
0: Okay and so, so, so is that is that a suggestion then that you don't want them getting too much goodness in the in the grass?
4: Exactly yeah I think so I think the the part of the problem is there's so much goodness in the grass that if breeders don't take that into consideration and moderate the hard feed they get when that all that grass comes on, it can lead to bigger foals and subsequently can uh, end up with a higher level of skeletal disorders.
0: Uh, Joe, it's, it's a fascinating study. Thanks so much for, for sharing some of it with us. Where, where can we find uh, some, some more details? If people want to read a bit more of, of your work, where can they do that?
4: I just gave a uh, The the lectures you mentioned in in Newmarket Newbury last week and and the one in Newmarket was was video recorded and it is available. The whole hour long lecture with has all these data on Saracen's uh, website.
0: It is Friday, so it's time for the Thoroughbred Racing Commentary Rankings Roundup. Easy for you to say. James Willoughby is away this week, but Lee Mostad, senior writer from the Racing Post, is still with me. And I'm sure he will be interested as I read you the top 20 uh, after the mainframe has been doing its work. These dropped on Tuesday. You can read James's thoughts on thoroughbredracing.com. And he writes an excellent piece as to why he feels the number one horse is going to hold on to that spot for the foreseeable future. At twenty, up from 174. This week's biggest climber is Westover after that sparkling performance in the Irish Derby. Steady at 19 is Caribus, and at 18 is Hot Rod Charlie, uh, who posted a respectable seasonal debut a couple of weeks ago. Euphoria is down two at 17 for Japan. Steady at 16, Mo Donegal, the Belmont Stakes winner. Up two at 15 is the Australian Animo. Jack Christopher is down one at 13. He's bound for the Haskell at Monmouth Park. Down one at 13 is Native Trail ahead of tomorrow's eclipse. Down one at 12 is very elegant. It'll be Dobille's pre-Rothschild for her and for her new trainer, Francis Graffard. First run since coming over from Australia. Down one at 11 is the derby winner, Desert Crown, in spite of picking up points off the back of Westover's Irish derby win. Down one at nine, uh, down one at 10, I should say, is State of Rest. Down one at nine is Zaki. Down one at eight is Nick's go. He'll be out soon because he's not run for an awful long time and he's been retired. Up seven and the most significant climber in the top 10 is title holder, more of whom in a few moments. Steady at six, his life is good. Five flight line, absolutely brilliant uh, the other day at Belmont Park. Steady at four is Jackie's Warrior. Three golden 62 is Nature Strip, the brilliant Royal Ascot winner, but none better than Baid as he heads to the Sussex Stakes. And Lee Motter said, I'm sure you'd like to know where all the Eclipse runners figure in the, in the current rankings, wouldn't you?
1: Oh, I most definitely would.
0: Well, I've given it, given it away that Native Trail is on top at 13. You got did. Native, Yep, Native Trail at 13. Mishrif is at 24 now. Bear in mind, he was as high as number two at one point last mm. year. Mm. He is just one place ahead of Kerr, who is at 25. You then get down to 31 and verdani And Bay Bridge, who, as you pointed out, is the only one not to have won a Group 1 race, he is down at 45. So this could all change. But the fact that you've got five out of the six runners in the top 50 ranked racehorses on the planet tells you what a strong race
1: this is. I think it does. I think especially as well as, of course, though those rankings cover all distance divisions. We're not mm-hmm. just talking about ten furlong middle distance performers. It pretty much tells you that, well, obviously, with a few exceptions, you've got the best of the best in this race. Um, I thought the, you referenced there, uh, Nick, title holder, um, the Japanese horse whose share price... Grows and grows, including in the rankings. He produced an excellent effort to win uh, the Takarazuka Kinen on Sunday. That followed up his wide margin win in the spring tenno show at the start of the month. Uh, In terms of a different ranking, racing post ratings, we gave him 1-2-5 for that win at the weekend he was signposted towards the arc by connections thereafter you can get sort of 12 to 1 about him uh, in the arc at the minute 10 to 1 is is the more general price he looks what you always want to have nick at this time of year a serious japanese contender for the arc
0: do you want to find out a bit more about him
1: i would love to find out more about him
0: your wish is my command because i've been speaking to the green channels nahiro goda and asked him a little bit more about Title Holder, Japan's new star.
5: Well, Title Holder is called by Duramente and out of the Meve, who is a motivator mayor, you know, bred by Makio Okada of Okada Stad. Um, Mr. Okada bought the Meve, the dam of the title holder, bought her at the Tatasol's October Ealing sale. When you know the mare was yelling. Um, the, you know the mare was just an okay racehorse. But uh, now you know she is the dam of the title holder, who is now winner of the three G one. Um, I'm pretty sure now you know the best racehorse in training in Japan is title holder. You know you know the performance his performance in Takarazuka Kinen is so dominant and so impressive.
0: Yeah, just spinning through the the horses in the rankings at the moment, you've got title holder at at number seven, then you have to go down to number 17 to pick up Euphoria down two places from last week. And then further down the list, we've got Dogeuse at number 36 and then Songline at forty-two, so they're they're the ones in the in the yep. top fifty at the moment in in Japan. Is there a little bit of a, a vacuum now with the with the retirement of Contrail and and Gran Alegria and horses that we've been familiar with for, for several seasons? There's a there's a gap there for, for for a horse to really fill.
5: Yeah, exactly. You know, definitely the title of holdout is no new star in Japan. You know, after after the you know, uh, official handicappers gave a rating hundred. 24 this is the exactly same rating as deep impact as given after takarazuka kinen so official handicapper's now you know uh, recognize title holder is as good as strong as fast as a deep impact and more interestingly um, title holder host entry for the Art triumph at party long in october and immediately after takarazuka kinen toru Kurita, who trains title holder, said uh, I would send that title holder to France later the year and probably next start will be Arc de Triomphe, which means, you know, uh, he is not given any prep race in Europe. So he goes straight to the Arc de Triomphe now.
0: Well, fingers crossed we see him in the the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe and he could become Japan's first winner of that race more immediately there's japanese representation in the in the july cup uh, now hero with uh, with king hermes D- tell me uh, how good you think this sprinter is and whether he could whether he could land a blow in, in europe's most prestigious sprint race
5: well uh, um, king hermes you know he is trained by yoshio ihagi who's now well known international trainer and uh, king hermes is a winner of the Tokyo Nisai stakes over 7 furlongs. So when King Elvis won Tokyo Nisai stakes over 7 furlong, you know, he tracked the leader from the second position. So, which means, you know, he has a very good speed. Or I should say he has a very good tactical speed. And please look at his pedigree. You know, his side is uh, full of European influence. So I think, you know, it's quite Logical uh, for Yoshitore Hagi to select the spring racing in Europe uh, as a target for King LMS, and uh, he arrived at Newmarket on uh, June 24th, and uh, he has been, you know, enjoying the climate in Newmarket very well. And uh, I've heard, you know, King LMS will be breezed at the July course on Tuesday, so I-, I understand that this is, you know, crucial workout workout of. King Elements for, you know,
0: July Cup. Fantastic. Well, we're looking forward to seeing him. It's 22 years now, Hero, since Agnes World won the July Cup for, yeah. for Japan. Uh, do, do you remember that
1: well?
5: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a 20, 22 years ago. It was the year 2000, yes. Yeah, it was a long, long gap. But uh, yes, King Elements might be the outsider, on the betting market but uh, i think it is very interesting challenge by Yostoyahagi and uh, Hero Race which owns King Hermes.
0: Uh, my thanks to Nahiro and to all my guests today and particular thanks to Emma Berry for supplying me with that audio with Sam Friedman a little bit earlier on. Uh, Lee is with me. Uh, we can't get rid of these Aussies can we?
1: Well um, why would we want to?
0: <laughs> we, we don't that's for sure uh, that's going to be a cracking July Cup, but that's all for next week uh, to look forward to. Uh, we need a tip for either today or this weekend, Lee.
1: Yeah, okay, Nick. Well, I'm going to get it for, for the Saturday horse. We've referenced quite a lot. Um, I actually backed Baybridge for the Eclipse last uh, Sunday um, in the expectation his price might collapse. It hasn't actually collapsed in the way I thought it would do. You can still get a 4-1 as we speak now. And in some ways, it seems an odd thing t- tipping the one non-group one winner in the field. But I was so impressed with him at Sandown first time out. I just thought that, as I say, was full of the wow factor. I think he can do far better than he had. did at Ascot last time. And I tip him to win a vintage Coral Eclipse. Lee, thanks so much. Thank
0: you very much for listening. We will see you again on Monday. But don't forget, Charlotte will be here from nine o'clock tonight. Uh, with the uploaded Saturday edition compiling all the best bits of this week and looking ahead to tomorrow and the weekend's big races. That's it from Lee and from me. We'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary.